Good afternoon, this is Gary Kavanagh. I'm here today with my friend and colleague, Michael Dwyer. We've decided to record this a little bit early in the week uh, so that I can go to Israel and this show can still go up, therefore giving the illusion that the show is, you know, timely and live and all of those things that make you feel like we are, you know, there with you in whatever you're doing and your friends. My only observation is that I just hope that nobody in Russia decides to launch a coup this weekend. Well, you see, we've learned, Michael, from the last time, and now instead of recording on Tuesday, and I don't know why I'm explaining to the, you, this to you, because you are clearly here at the same time as me. <laughs> yeah, at least in body, if not spirit. We have now decided to record on Friday, therefore lessening the chance that there will be a coup in Russia. Also, I think the main stories of the week have already happened, hopefully. That's just tempting face, right there. I suppose this is what we would consider to be a classic show. The first and major story is that the hate speech bill has been pushed back. It was, we were assured, going to come in in this legislative session, which ends next week. I believe the government's line now is, well, we never said publicly in an you know, a press release that it was going to happen then, although privately that is what they were telling people. It's understood that this is happening because they uh, dramatically underestimated how interested people would be in the hate crime bill. And they started seeing things like TDs and senators in their own parties start asking to talk to Minister McEntee about what was in the bill, saying they had concerns, Michael. Many of these people voted for the bill to pass. In the doll, Jim Callaghan, for instance, said that he hoped that the government would fix it after he voted to pass it, which is a strange understanding of how the legislative process works in Ireland. But, Michael, he is a barrister. We've got to assume he knows better than us in this regard. We do. We also, I think, need to give a special award to Sinn Féin, who are not only now coming out as if they oppose the bill, but are coming out as if they always oppose the bill, and that those who are saying that perhaps they didn't always oppose the bill are scum who should be insulted publicly. The problem, of course, is that the things that Sinn Féin are saying, like, oh, will we put forward all of these amendments, kind of neglects to mention that many of those amendments were actually designed to make the bill more wide-reaching, more stringent, more likely to convict, and that either way, when those amendments were rejected, They just voted for the bill anyway in the doll. And then, Michael, it's almost like it got to the Shannon and they realised it was really unpopular with their voters. You know, if we could just step away from the the material content of the specific piece of legislation and what people might or might not feel about it. And just to, to meditate for half a second on the current state of Irish parliamentary democracy. The parliament is the great forum for debate and discussion where... Nature and the type of society that we want to live in is hammered out. And like, okay, you 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 referred to O'Cala, Jim O'Callaghan, and yeah, on the face of it, it just seems to be ridiculous. He came out with really some quite savvy, really quite biting criticisms of the legislation, which he had in fact voted for in the doll. I read, I didn't see the, the most of the interview, but I saw clips of it, and I read a transcript of interview that the minister. Uh, did I think it was on prime time, wasn't it? And there's a line in it, Gary, which on the RT have up. Uh, we are updating legislation that isn't workable. Okay, we are updating legislation which isn't workable, which is why they're going 
to have to push it back. Now, if you go on to the website of Theon Raftus and you wanted to find out what happened, right? You'll discover that the votes were Ta, 110, Neil, 14. So 110 TDs from the government and from the opposition voted for a piece of legislation which, a matter of weeks later, the minister in charge of that piece of legislation has announced that we are updating it because it isn't workable. Now, Gary, this is an important piece of legislation because it touches on the nature of our democracy, about discourse in the public space, about freedom of expression, about our art, about comedy, about public discussion of difficult political subjects, and the very notion that you can legislate for something which you describe as emotion or a feeling or whatever, which I think fundamentally at a philosophical level I find just bizarre and troubling and worrying and all that. But imagine this was a piece of legislation about the organisation of sheep farming on the side of a mountain, the side of the mountain in Mayo, I, what, or water supply to Liston Varna. And two weeks after it come, they decided, having voted massively for it, that it was unworkable. What are they being paid for? What are any of these big people being paid for? Is, is, is this a functioning democracy? a functioning parliament. I mean, we have some of our friends who like to talk about us being a failed state. We are very, very, very far from being a failed state. We are a very successful state. But at times I feel like we have to keep reminding that we are, in many ways, a we are a successful state in spite of the people running the gap. How can you do that, Gary? I mean, honest to God. You've discovered the, the press, it took them basically the Shannon discussion to discover that this thing had problems and was probably unworkable. And vast swathes of the media were writing loads of lovely, that the, the hate speech bill wasn't the sign of a problem in a democracy, but rather a manifestation of how good our democracy was. That hate speech legislation and hate crimes were all about showing that we actually were a highly evolved liberal society. Blah, 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 blah. None of them. Now, three weeks later, it's not, it's not a workable piece of legislation. Sir, did you say that the minister said it wasn't? It needed to be updated. Well, I'm looking at the what I have in front of me is the quote. Blah blah. Where am I to find it again? In inverted commas, we're updating legislation that isn't workable. Inverted commas. Helen McEntee defies and clarifies the government's hate speech bill. I think you may have made a bit of a Naomi Wolf error, Michael. Have I? I hope I have. Well, no, I don't hope I have. I hope I haven't. <laughs> If I recall correctly from watching Primetime, the minister was actually saying that we're updating the existing Incitement to Hatred Act. And that's the purpose of this legislation. Well, then, I, uh, then, well, th then I'm sorry and I apologize, but then I'll go, I, I'll go on the attack again and say, well, <laughs> this is, this is, the existing legislation goes back to when? 1989? And we've now discovered that isn't workable? And why isn't it workable? In what sense is it not workable? What, what has it not done that is workable? And also, by the way, whatever she might have said, it's now recognised and agreed by loads of TDs, and you've been talking to them, I've been talking, that this legislation is not workable. You, I mean, if, I, if I've made that mistake, I apologise, it's a stupid thing and I shouldn't have done it. But I'll say this, but in response, you heard the minister talking about, in my defence, if you'd heard the minister talking to things, saying, why we couldn't define hate, right? Why couldn't we define hate? Because if we defined hate, well, then the, the, we, the legislation wouldn't, wouldn't be workable. 
Well, you you asked you asked what is unworkable about the current legislation, but you and I know this because the EBI engaged with the review process, Michael. This non-public part of the consultation that the minister has become so focused on. And you and I both know that what has become unworkable about this law is that it is too difficult to secure conviction under. Explicitly, that is the purpose of this. Now, the minister constantly saying on prime time, this is very clear and no one will be confused by it, while it was being repeatedly pointed out to her that no one understands exactly what she means when she says things, is... um. Probably not the best example of it. The One of the points I think that it is important to mention is when we have talked to TDs about this, everyone we've talked to has agreed that this has caused a level of correspondence that they did not foresee, that it is just slamming their offices. Yeah, we, I talked to, to what, three, four TDs in the Senate who said that they, had, they were receiving more on this than everything else put together and more on this than they had received. More on it... One of them said she couldn't believe it, and particularly in this the particular constituency I was talking about, you would have expected it. More on, way more on this than they had received on issues around immigration or housing refugees. So it's it has become a hot button issue. Where people seem uncertain about this, and where TDs and Sounders don't seem to know where this is going, is is this thing being pushed back, and maybe it'll be changed. Or is it that this thing is going to be pushed back and forgotten about? Now, I've talked to two people in particular who are fairly familiar with this process. And one has said that they think it's going to be forgotten. And one has said there's absolutely no chance it's going to be forgotten. So we'll see. I I doubt this is the end of it. I think they will push forward. If they were going to drop this because it's deeply unpopular and frankly offensive to the idea of democracy, they would have dropped it already. The fact they've let it get this far is a strong indication that they intend to try and go the full way with it. They can't drop it. I just don't see that they can drop it. What they might do is gut it. They might change the exceptions and the protections, drop the, for example, restore the the assumption of presumption of innocence, uh, change the stuff about the rights to seizure of devices, uh, they, they, they could so substantially change it that while they look like they're doing something, that they in fact have produced a, a, something pretty inane and fairly innocuous. Sorry, I, I, before we move on from my horrible and embarrassing failure, just one, just one last point in it. In my attack on democracy, I just did want to make one observation, that this would probably have gone on pretty smoothly if it hadn't been for the Senate. And for all of our friends that have been advocating the the abolition of the Senate and it does nothing and it's a waste of time and all that, uh, I think this is a demonstration that actually the Senate does have a purpose and a function. It may not do it all of the time or it may not do it all the time, but I think in this case it did do it. And it provided the time and the space and the opportunity for people to speak to it. People like Ronan Mullen and people like... uh, MacDool and to be fair, Lisa Chambers. We're not always been a fan of Lisa Chambers, but they could artic- make, they could make art- an articulate case, and that managed to get out into the public space, and it started to leak, and it gave, and it, it created a real problem for the government. And I don't think without the Shannon that would have happened, because I don't think the media would have pushed it. So I think that the 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 the, the, uh, the Shannon on this one deserves some kind of recognition and positive 
kudos. I, I think so. I think this is this has displayed a value to the Shannid that we have actually very rarely seen in recent years. And it started, I think, with the independent senators when it got into the Shannid. But by the end of it, there were senators from nearly every party saying that they had concerns with this and it was problematic. But on um, on primetime, Michael, which we were discussing there, it wasn't just the minister. You know, they displayed co- interviews with a number of people from Liam Herrick, the head of the ICCL for our sins, to uh, Senator McDowell, to Dr. Seamus Taylor of the National University of Ireland. He has a doctorate of philosophy, Michael. He works in, he's the head of the department, actually, of applied social science in Maynooth. And I thought his comments were particularly interesting, both in isolation and the fact RTE broadcast them without challenge. Because Taylor said a couple of things. He talked about the public consultation and it was put to him that the majority of people in the public consultation did not support the government's hate crime bill. And he basically made three statements of fact, which altogether, I think, came to the conclusion that the process was illegitimate. He made the statement that there had been an orchestrated campaign to get uh, submissions in which were against the uh, publication. He said that a number of the responses had come from outside the country. And he said that this indicated that the far right or far right groups had been prompting responses. Now, RTE, while, shall we say, in a period of their life, Michael, where they are under intense public scrutiny, decided that they would allow Dr. Taylor to make these accusations, or sorry, these claims of fact, not opinion, because they're claims of fact, without asking him if he had any evidence to back up what he was saying. So had he, he presumed he had access to the, how did he have access to the government data on this? I mean, were, were, were they responsible for the report in some way? I mean, th- th- well, there's, this, th- there's two things he said, which I think I can explain. One, he said there was an organized campaign to get responses in. Well, Michael, I know if you go on to the social media accounts of the Department of Justice who ran the consultation, you can yeah. see that they sent out multiple tweets and posts linking in numerous NGOs, many of them state-funded, who they would have known supported bringing in this legislation oh no i know there was i mean he's right there was an orchestrated campaign i don't i don't think in fairness carry you can doubt that i mean groups like the civil the civil liberties the trade union groups the anti-racism groups the migrant groups all of the traditional the, the traditional groups that would support this kind of legislation on the progressive left were all were all invoked and invited to to support it and get their members to support it that's just that's true in the face of it you see michael i you know that's not an orchestrated attempt because those are respectable stakeholders that's just bringing in you know engaging with stakeholders michael it's when other people engage and you know do things like that so that's that you know that's not an orchestrated campaign, even though it has many of the appearances of such. Right. And then when you go and the department did put out a report looking at where the responses came from. They said about 21% of responses came from outside the state. Uh, although they said that 10% of responses came from the UK. And I, uh, I don't know how many of those came from Northern Ireland. So 
I suppose if you're a nationalist, you could say they actually did come from within Ireland. But what they don't say, Michael, in that report is whether or not the responses that came outside from outside the state were more negative or positive than the average response that came from within Ireland. So we can't tell there. Sorry, just can I ask you, can I start with a question? 21% came from outside the state. Does that, so that, that 20, 10% came from the UK. So is that 20, 21 plus 10 outside the UK or is that, that 21% including the 10% that came from the UK? Oh, including the 10% that came from the UK. So 11% came from not outside of the country and not the UK. Uh, yes, yes. It's not a great campaign. I mean, even if it is, it's not exactly, it's not fantastic, is it? So I, I reached out to Dr. Taylor to ask him, could he clarify a couple of things? I sent him an email at um, probably half 10, 11 last night because I'd just seen prime time. And he didn't get back to me. Um, I tried to chase it up today. And I, you know, tragically, Michael, it appears I have just missed the doctor. And he is, um, he has now uh, left the country. Uh, because when I emailed him today, I got an automated response saying he was outside of the country and will not see any email I sent him. I imagine... I assume it's. I didn't get it the first day because I sent it out of work hours and the second day I sent it within work hours. But there is, and it did make me laugh when I got it, there is a certain humour to someone making a claim on, you know, a flagship news programme. You're sending them an email, getting nothing back, and then when you try and chase it up, receiving an email going, I'm sorry, but I've left the country. <laughs> I'm not a member of the far right or the alt-right or, or far right adjacent or any of those groups, but you are and are well known to be. How come neither of us heard about this orchestrated campaign? Because I didn't. Did you hear about this orchestrated campaign? Uh, I didn't, but, you know, I'm not terribly in the loop. Still, you think somebody would have mentioned it to you? He also said, Michael, and I know you will, you'll deeply enjoy this. Go it on. was put to him on RTE uh, that, you know, some people said that the law could interfere with civil liberties or that people could be picked up and the law could basically be used unjustly. And he right. responded, and remember, Michael, this is the department of uh, the head of the Department of uh, Applied Social Studies, so a man I would assume quite familiar with sociology, said that Ireland had a very respectable police force and prosecutorial services, and he could not see any occasion in which the guards and the prosecution service would ever allow a case that was unjustifiable to uh, come to court, which I've got to... In a world of cynicism, Michael, it's good to see an educated man place so much trust in the structures of the state. You know, Gary, I'm not one of those people that really in, likes this idea, although I, I recognise that it has a certain validity or function in, in, in contemporary politics. But you know this thing of going over tweets that people put out last year or five years ago or ten years ago or combing through their social media or some stuff that they speech they might have made to the students' union when they were 19. However, I do think that that is a comment that you should store up and treasure for the future, because it is my suspicion that an academic working in the uh, area of social science or social policy coming out of Renouf may at some stage have an opinion about the use of the Gardaí and the judicial system against some other group, where he will find that that process is less than fair and prudent and right and just. I'm going, to, I'm going to go out on a limb there that the progressive left is not always a friend 
of the justice system and the police. Just not always. I've got to say, I loved, I just loved his interview on primetime. To see a serious academic <laughs> be asked, could this ever be used unjustly and come back with, no, 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 that would, I can't see the police or the prosecutorial services ever acting unjustly. Was just, just fabulous. And that is the problem with arguing that, you know, oh, well, the bill has discretion built into it. You have to trust that that discretion is appropriately utilised, which ends in bizarre situations like going, well, mistakes could never happen and ill will could never happen or you know, political agendas could never happen. These have never been known to happen in either a police force or a prosecutorial service. And we've just got to put all of our trust blindly into that. And the broadcast happened quite, it was quite badly timed because I don't know if you saw, Michael, uh, Ben asked Minister Catherine Martin earlier about public service broadcasting and why we had to pay for it. And she said that it was because there was a value to democracy in public service broadcasting. And Ben did a very filthy thing, Michael. He asked her, how and what, how does it generate that value? And she started saying about the accuracy in media. And he asked her, and in the middle of a press conference, Michael, with absolutely no shame, was she saying that media which received money from the state was innately more accurate than the commercial media which was surrounding her at that time? (laughs) And she gave a basic spiel about, you know, (laughs) it's helpful to democracy. And he just said, yeah, but again, how? What is the mechanism? And she she came out with the line that public service is of intrinsic value to democracy and that that should never be questioned. Right. Which is a bad time for RTE to basically put someone on to put forward claims of fact on an issue of immense public interest and political importance and not follow that up with and do you have any evidence for the very broad claims you just made? Yeah, was this the one where, she, was it she who said that Orkie reflected the nation or was the representation of the nation? Was that that, was that hard? I, I'm going to be honest, Michael, I believe it was, but I kind of, kind of blurred a lot of it out. And I just, it, it, it was a kind of a de Valera moment, you know, that, that much maligned, slightly misunderstood. So, you know, the de Valera just had to look into his heart. You know, I I I've, I've probably mentioned this before on the podcast, but there's a, a a mutual friend of ours who comes from, shall we say, a Finnegan background, and we used to discuss the difference between Finnegan and Finnegan culturally because it seemed to me that there were real cultural differences in certain attitudes, and one of them was about justice, and it just strikes me that the 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 professor that you just sounds like one of the old fashioned classic blue shirt types who our friend used to refer to as not, but. The Law and Order Party, he said, was nothing, not the Law and Order Party, but rather it was not the Party of Law and Order, but the Party of Lots of Order, but fuck all law. And Fianna Fáil didn't have that. that in, historically, it seemed to be lost. Fianna Fáil had a suspicion because Fianna Fáil, going back to its genetic roots, had this worry that one day, that if you give the cops too much power and you give the system too much power, one day the, they, they would hear, the, they would wake up, or one night they would wake up to hear the helicopters in the sky and the banging on the doors as they were being taken off to the camp in the Cora once more. So uh, it just—it sounds like that. This is ah no no no. You can give them give them whatever power you like. 
I'm just going to interrupt you, Michael, to say that as we are recording this, the Dutch government has collapsed. I hope it wasn't anything we said. They've failed to reach a deal on restricting immigration, and elections are now going to be triggered. So, just for those of you who were waiting in glee to email me saying news had happened after we recorded, there we've touched on it. Oh, I did ask. Uh, I did ask RTE Michael why they mm-hmm. had you know brought the professor on, and did they have any comment about the? Sir, let me just get the um, the the exact what I exactly asked them. I said, could RTE provide a comment on the appropriateness of allowing Dr. Taylor to make multiple claims, undermining the legitimacy of a consultation which is of immediate and significant public interest without broadcasting any evidence that those claims are true and or platforming an opposing voice? And RTE's response, Michael, is that. They interview individuals based on their expertise in the field, and we accept their credentials to speak to the subject in hand. Dr. Taylor is a respected academic in this area, which, were we to carry that principle forward, Michael, means that once you hit a certain level of respectability, Ortee will let you say anything without picking up on it. It's interesting. I can remember a number of very, very well-qualified credentials academics speaking to issues, for example, during the repeal debate, not receiving the same level of, shall we say, blind good faith response. It occurs to me that on that basis, we, we should be expecting to see Professor George Casey rampant on the airways and in an utterly unchallenged way, beating out Christian libertarianism all over the gap. Jared on the airways, uh, unrestrained and free, would be a sight to hold, and I'm sure afterwards the whatever remains of the Irish state could only be thankful to him. It'd be like that lion, that Nietzschean lion, wouldn't it? Roaring around, looking for a steak to eat. Well, sure. You know, oh God, I mean, God, can you imagine? I mean, I, I, it's, it's not it's not what one should say, but still, say I say it anyway. Can you imagine that kind of response from, say, Jeremy, pa- Jeremy Paxman? I mean, I and I think that Paxman laterally became a problem uh, and he'd almost become a parody of himself and I think too many broadcasters of shall we say lesser talent than Jeremy tried to imitate him and it didn't do us any good but can you imagine Paxton just saying okay I accept not asking any follow-up questions not I mean it surely in a debate like this when someone states something like that it this is a fact it 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 should just occur to you just automatically spontaneously and what basis do you have for making that statement, Professor? Even if you are absolutely confident that he has good reasons, and by the way, Gary, he may have. He may, Michael. He may have access to material that I don't. That That's not public. But the thing is, Gary, in a debate like this, you want the people to know what that material is. You just imagine that the, it would be a natural follow-on question. Yeah, it's like, we know that, for example, we know that the that Minister McEntee has access to studies which show that the vast majority of people in the country do support this legislation. But we just haven't been allowed to look at it yet, you know. But we know we know it ex- we know it exists because she told us. Problem that the government may have created for themselves, Michael, by pushing this bill back, is that that research that they said we don't get to see until the end of this month and which I'm told by the actual researchers we won't get to see until August, is that we know before we didn't get to see it until after the bill had passed, which meant no one could challenge it. Now we get to see it before 
the bill goes forward. And that's not good for them. Speaking, Michael, of um, on, well, another matter of 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 uh, civic importance and how it's being considered by politicians, the termination of pregnancy services uh, safe access zone bill twenty twenty three was before the doll on Wednesday. Now we've talked about this bill at length. And for new listeners, I will just reiterate one point, which I keep making because I think it's so important. The bill is about putting safe access zones around um, facilities involved in the provision of abortions. The bill is important regardless of your views on on abortion. Even if you think that protests outside abortion clinics or uh, GP surgeries or wherever should be banned, this bill is deeply problematic because it is... I think, Michael, it is the only bill I've seen which gives the government the ability to designate areas of the state and say that discussions of a particular political nature cannot happen inside those areas. It is an incredible principle to give to the government, and the fact that the civil liberties bodies are on board with it is insane. It is incredibly dangerous. It is, I would actually say, if you were concerned with free speech, the principles enshrined in this bill are more openly antagonistic to the principle of free speech. Because think about that. It's the, Once this is established as an acceptable principle, what is to stop the government from saying, oh, there are other areas where we think that protest should be stopped? Because, of course, Michael, we've got to balance the rights. And there are these reasons why these things shouldn't happen. So that went into, that was uh, debated in the doll. Now, the the discussion was adjourned. I don't think it was finished this week. It'll be coming back, I assume, next week before they rise. There was one thing I thought was, was notable. Only one person spoke out against the bill uh, when, uh, during the debate. Every other party who spoke was in favour of it. Now, I mean, it's, it's not really shocking um, it was Eamon O'Keeve who spoke against it, and actually one of O'Keeve's points was he that he didn't think he'd ever seen a bill that gave the government these abilities. And he asked the minister, could he tell him if this is the only time this has ever happened? And he talked about the wider issues. One thing that I thought was particularly interesting is that every party that talked about this bill, at least one person from that party thanked a particular NGO, a group called Together for Safety. Now, I have reported extensively on Together for Safety because they have made several claims which I have shown to be inaccurate or untrue. They have made some wild statements. It was Together for Safety that said that in Limerick, uh, pro-life protesters were deliberately, had, had been leaked the times at which women were going for abortions and were deliberately uh, protesting at those times in order to harass those women. Something I found to be absolutely untrue after a long investigation involving FOIing the time of every abortion, I'm sorry, the, the date uh, and time of every abortion that had happened in that particular hospital. And it showed that the, the there was a prayer vigil there, a silent prayer vigil, which has happened before abortion had been legalized. The women down there yes. said it wasn't actually a, a pro-life vigil as such. Uh, sorry, or an anti-abortion vigil in this particular sense, but rather a prayer for all those who were hurt uh, and uh, healing inside the hospital. But what it did show is that there had been some crossover because the hospital had changed the time at which uh, the dates on which abortions had been carried out for a brief period. 
And so it seems, Michael, that while the pro-life protesters or or prayer vigil attendants, as you would prefer to call them, had not been leaked material for the hospital, or at least there seemed to be no evidence of that, it did seem like someone had leaked together for safety uh, that information. But that was brought up in the doll. Uh, We looked into it. Absolutely didn't work. They made a couple of other claims that didn't stand up as well. They were the people who, with Senator Paul Gavin of Sinn Féin, wrote the first version of the Safe Access Zone bill, the the private member version, which is the one that would have made it a crime to look at a building. Yeah. Every single party that spoke thanked them, despite the fact that this group, every time they seem to be involved in something, it's either, you know, there are questions about if it's true, the legal things they'd be involved with. I mean, making it a crime to stand in an area and look at a building is... Just out there. Kind of like, out there. Like, yes, of course, Senator Paul Gavin was going to help you with it because it's Senator Paul Gavin. Yeah. But, like, normal functioning members of the Oireachtas have also thanked these people. It's like these people have no standards or idea who they're working with. And on this legislation, I mean, going back to the professor and, you know, his confidence, and people will say, the confidence, shall we say, in the judicial system and the police force and Oh, the kind certain kinds of things wouldn't happen. We have referenced before. I I, I conducted an interview with um, a a pro life uh, advocate in the United Kingdom, and under the, under their legislation, where it hadn't previously been done at a national level, it's done at a local level. Now there is national legislation. She was standing silently outside a uh, a, a facility where abortions took place, and. She was approached by six policemen and they asked her what she was doing. She said she wasn't actually really doing anything and said, were you praying? And the policeman responded when she said, I may have been. And the policeman said, your prayer is a of, is an offence. Now, that's in our neighbouring country, a liberal democracy, a, a democracy with a a system of justice and a police force which would be widely regarded as amongst sort of most decent and functioning in the world and with a legal system very similar to ours. So if that can happen in Britain and you have this kind of legislation, of course mad, ridiculous things can happen. And when people will say, well, we're scaremongering. No, we're not. This, you, you can't write legislation like this and not expect this kind of legislation to have the kind of effects that you have when you write legislation like this. And it's so utterly, I mean, at the point I think you made that, that when this first came up, and I think it's absolutely central, is you're, you're creating a, le- a legislation for one very specific kind of political opinion, and you're making that illegal. But once you've conceded that principle, what is to stop the state if this is found to be constitutional, if the president doesn't refer it, and if it, does, it never gets to the courts, and, or if it gets to the courts and it's found to be constitutional, I don't know. I mean, a lot of us out there are sort of hoping or thinking and believing that there are serious constitutional problems with this, but imagine that there aren't. What's to stop them? And as you, I mean, as you have pointed out, all of those groups that are supposed to be concerned with our civil liberties, who are supposed to be concerned with protecting the citizen from the coercive power of the large state, are all there cheering it on. There was actually something that, that came up, and I thought it was common knowledge, but it apparently it is not, and I will mention it here. It's more related to the hate speech law. Um, the ICCL had, in relation to the hate crime bill, come out with some concerns about it before. And when the public uh, seemed to be against it, 
they those complaints became a bit louder, although I'm not saying they are connected. But what people didn't uh, seem not to have known is that in their private communications to TDs through a group called the Coalition Against Hate Crime, which is chaired by the ICCL and is based out of the ICCL offices, they have been telling TDs that they are wholly dedicated to the passage of the bill. So people that I talked to seem to think that the ICCL was seriously lobbying against the bill because they wanted these provisions changed. But no, actually, the, the ICCL is, is privately telling people that, no, they're fully dedicated to the passage of the bill. And yes, they have concerns, but the basic tone is, you know, if they need to be there to get this passed, this bill needs to be passed. So I just thought I would actually mention that because it just came to mind. You're saying effectively the ICCL is speaking out of both sides of its mouth. I mean, you might say that, Michael, but I couldn't comment. Possibly comment, no. Okay. Um, There is some good news actually in this bill within a very set definition of good news. The original bill that was put forward was so broadly written that when we talked to legal experts about it, they said it was conceivable that it could actually cover a pub that had a machine that dispensed condoms in it. It was just, it was incredibly broad. It, it covered anywhere that did, that, that allowed contraceptive services. So you can see the immediate problem. This bill has narrowed it down substantially to what they call relevant healthcare providers, which are GPs, obstetricians, or hospitals that provide acute inpatient services. So they won't cover the pubs, they won't cover the pharmacies, they won't cover any of that thing. So that is actually something that, you know, if the bill must pass it's probably better that it's as restricted as possible there was one thing that came up though that i thought was quite interesting they were stephen donnelly when he was talking specifically mentioned churches michael and he said that um conduct that which would otherwise be lawful which occurs within a public place meaning a building of worship is not prohibited and he said that's to allow sermons to be given during church services because, Michael, religions sometimes have opinions on things like this. Yeah. But here's here's the fun part. It should be noted that this exemption would not apply to grounds outside of a church within a safe access zone to avoid a situation where protesters use the grounds of a church or other similar location to circumvent the prohibited, uh, the prohibited activities. Which is also to say, Michael, that if a church inside one of these grounds was put up a poster, which in any way referenced, let's say, a Christian belief in the sacredness of life or opposition to abortion, it would be in breach of this legislation, despite the fact it is not on public property. Sorry, I need that again. It's, uh, I, would all speech taking place within the walls of the church be protected? What it says, there is a specific exemption in the bill that says nothing in this section shall prohibit a person from engaging in lawful conduct that occurs inside a place of religious worship. Which is a bit of a weird way to phrase it, because if saying these things inside a safe access zone is not lawful, then even if you're inside a place of religion... Well, yeah, that confused me there. It's like it's it's not something that will ever fall in the courts. I think everyone understands what they're trying to say. But it's just very, very badly phrased. And place of religious worship, by the way, says any building that's used for the purpose of religious worship and to which the public have access, whether as of a right or by permission, 
and whether subject to or free of charge, but specifies it does not include the grounds or other lands. So basically, inside a church, you could say something. But if you continued that conversation, Michael, across the threshold, you could be arrested. Even if you were still on the property which belonged to the church, you know, the church, the churchyard, maybe the cemetery attached to the church, it was church property. But if it fell within the zone, then that would no longer be protected. Yeah, and it, it specifically says that that land outside the church, but still on the church ground, is not protected. I wonder if you had tannoys, I'm spitballing here, if you had tannoys, as churches sometimes do, on the outside of the church, and the sermon was relayed through those. I think if it's outside the church, it'd probably fall. But actually looking at it now, if you put the tannoy in the church, maybe. What about... So that would mean, for example, if you had a chapel within a hospital, if you stayed inside the chapel, you could say what you wanted. But if you stepped outside the chapel, you couldn't. There's also there's also an interesting one, because one of the reasons they said that this should be passed is because people needed to be up in the Oireachtas, and if you wanted to protest, you should protest where the laws are made, Michael. And the law does contain a provision which says that you can protest at the Oireachtas even if that's in one of these zones, uh, provided that your protest advocacy or dissent is not directed at a specific relevant healthcare premises or persons accessing irrelevant healthcare premises within 100 metres. So you can do it. So what they're saying is you, you you can do it unless you can't do it. Well, you can do it as long as you do it in a sort of general sense, Michael. Right. Like you can protest about this to the Oireachtas, about abortion. But if you're protesting that, let's say, a uh, facility beside the Oireachtas is doing something, well, then you can't protest that at the Oireachtas because despite being at the Oireachtas, it's directed at a premises within 100 metres. So you want to you you get that pinned down before you do anything. I say I see, I don't see, but okay. Mm. Oh, here's the other thing. Because under this, it's a crime to communicate certain material to the public inside one of these zones, and that includes displaying, publishing, distributing, or disseminating material, or showing or playing material. If a church or a religious or a facility or a mosque or a synagogue or whatever is within one of these zones, and they give you a flyer when you're in front of the building, but not in the building, yeah, technically you can probably break this law. Well, actually, explicitly you can break this law. But Michael, again, we are protected by the just ages of discretion because that's what you want in a law michael you want it to be as wide ranging as possible but where people you don't know have discretion over whether or not you're going to be charged because that's you know functional so if you're given the material inside the church you'll be protected but what about the individual who's carrying the material well michael that's that's a problem because you know you're taking that material from that church to your car are you displaying yes. that material? I mean, unless you have it, like, you know, bound away somewhere, like you're holding it in your hand in a way where someone could see it. But, Michael, I think we are being, we, you know, we are focusing too much on the negatives here. We've just got to trust that the government can put in law uh, something which covers protest, advocacy or dissent, you know, allows them to say, well, you can't do it within these areas where we've determined that 
the balance of rights says you shouldn't be able to do it, and we've just got to trust that that will never go wrong or be extended or in any way come back to bite anyone in the ass. Yeah, and well, I'm sure that will that that will be okay because I I have such oh sweet lord, I can't even finish my sarcastic comment. Jesus, just to give an idea of the language in this. Because we're saying that this gives the government the right to ban political speech of a particular type. But just to let you know the exact language of the law. So the law says a person shall not, in a safe access zone, communicate material to the public or section of the public in a manner that is likely to influence the decision of another person in relation to availing of or providing termination of pregnancy service or otherwise engage in conduct directed at the public or a section of the public in a manner that's likely to influence the decision of a person in relation to availing of or providing termination of pregnancy service. They've written it that way because the first stop any complaint would have been is that this is obviously targeted at pro-life protesters and pro-life political movements. And by doing it that way, they can say, well, no, technically we've also stopped anyone from convincing someone to get an abortion, which is actually a point people seem like they want to seriously argue, which... But that is the language. It is explicitly a crime to communicate material or to say something to someone that is designed to influence them in relation to a particular political... or, or, or in relation to a particular matter or, or view of a matter or ideology or anything of that nature. So that's not... And the way it's presented is, well, this is to stop people threatening and harassing people. That is in here as well. There's absolutely provisions that say it's you know, you can't threaten or intimidate. But there are already provisions in laws that do that. And the Gardaí, uh, the Gardaí commissioner, has said he doesn't need this to actually hold those to account if someone is intimidating or threatening a woman. So we just have large amounts of stuff about how you can't communicate with people. And as we said in Together for Safety in Paul Gavin's original one, a provision which would have made it a crime to, if you were not authorised look at a building as you would say gary what a time to be alive yeah michael i i knew times could be bad but i never realized they would be this stupid so very very stupid the iccr are actually the group i take the most issue with here like a civil liberties group looking at that and not only saying there are no problems with that but going you know what that needs to be brought in that's a law we need on the books this can clearly never go wrong never I will say the government has been very effective and the media has been very effective at presenting this as something which you should only care about if you are either pro-life, in which case you should oppose it, or if you are pro-choice, in which case you should support it. And done very little to actually look at what the bill says, as opposed to what politicians are saying it says. (laughs) We were only able to talk about what Together for Safety and Paul Gavin and people had written, but now this bill is out. It is in the doll. We know what it is. It may be amended, but we know what the government has started with. And I have not seen any serious analysis of that, which is not great, really, Michael. (laughs) It's reassuring. Mm. Oh, and as I said, uh, you know, the bill says a person should be regarded as communicating material to the public if they display, publish, distribute or disseminate material, show or play the material or make the material available in any other way, including through the use of an information system. Not entirely sure what that refers to. Ah, well, it's somebody getting paid by the word, Gary, and they have to make a living. Or you might like this, Michael. For the purpose of this section, a person's conduct shall include conduct of any kind, 
and in particular things that the person says or otherwise communicates, as well as the things that the person does, and such conduct may consist of a single act or a course of conduct. <laughs> we are now getting very much there, in, you know, and which would make sense because when, when they were framing this legislation uh, at, at the beginning, it was basically organised so that anybody could but you didn't have to be the person who was allegedly harassed or approached or communicated with but rather that anybody passing by who perceived something to be happening could be the complainant uh, we are very much in the back of the land of the subjective of the subjective perception uh, being the basis for the opinion of whether or not a crime has occurred but they have really really made it clear there that they're not going to let anything he looked at me in such a way that I understood. His eyes his eyes moved in such a way that it was clear what he was saying to me. He was saying I was wrong to go into this building. Do you remember there was a, there was a video came out of a bunch of school kids, some Catholic school in Canada, and they were doing a pride event, and a number of the more rambunctious members of the, the school body had decided to hold a, shall we say, a form of counter-protest. And they... The Canadian television people went to interview some of the people who were involved in the the Pride event, and they said they were, you know, because they were very they were very very hurt and they were very upset because during, it was I know it's so it's so good they were looking at us and judging us, and I thought well first of all obviously you know if you're you're trying to you know turn yourself into a martyr for the cause and all the terrible terrible things. And in fact, they, they talked about violence, which turned out to be, you know, you know those wristbands, rubber colored wristbands that kids wear these days for God knows 700 different causes. Some of them were throwing wristbands into the road and it, it escalated into violence. It seems to me we're now at that level. You know, they looked at us and they judged us. Oh, you, you actually, one final thing in the debate, Michael, because I'm, I'm not sure if you can handle any more of this. Uh, one of the areas which uh, were most uh, talked about during the debate because you know michael everyone wanted to you know, all of the opposition wanted to get their views in was the question of warnings and if the guards come up to you and they provide a warning to you how are those warnings going to be stored and will the guards have access to it because michael and this was not a point made by one person this was a point made by multiple people if they're not stored properly, someone could go into one safe access zone and receive a warning and then go to another safe access zone and that warning wouldn't carry over. And so in that nature, people could spend their time daisy chaining warnings together in different safe access zones and the guards would be absolutely powerless to stop this from happening. Oh my God, the humanity. That was a, a serious part of this discussion in the doll. Yeah, a, a serious part of a, of a very serious discussion. Anyway, I think we will leave it at that, Michael. We will be back. Actually, I'm not sure if I'm back next week. I don't really know where I am uh, at all this month. Uh, presumably something will happen and, and you will receive some gift. And if, if there isn't something, we'll just enjoy the silence. And listeners, let, let us all take a moment over the next few days to pray for peace in the Middle East and that nothing appears on our television screens to suggest that Gary has in fact launched another intifada. But until then, we shall be back when we shall be back. All the best. Probably next Sunday. Bye-bye. Oh, bye.